Welcome to the Footy Museum and the Footy Museum Podcast. We are experiencing all sorts of technical delays, but we are here to talk about football. When I say we, I mean me, Justin Woody, co-director of the Footy Museum, and joined as always by the other co-director of the Footy Museum, Maria Van Dykenley. Maria, how are you? There you are. And that is an amazing... Peacock leads kit, but we will oh, talk more. Oh, this old thing. Oh yeah, Thanks. that thing. Oh, we'll talk more about. Um, we'll talk more about leads shortly. But first, we have to talk about a trophy. Oh my goodness. Um, Gotham FC champions of NWSL. Uh, did you watch this game? I was unavoidably detained. Oh uh, no! But I. I caught the highlights. Oh my goodness. It was wild. Oh so this goodness. is Rapino and Krieger's final match, the big showdown, but within moments, Rapino goes down with an ankle industry non-contact. You knew it was bad. You saw her crumple on oh. the field. So she's off. But the game kept going and what a match. It ended up two to one with Gotham winning, but that doesn't tell the whole story. Oh First of all, uh Gotham FCs start off the scoring, followed by Roosevelt of the rain quickly. Wide open She's response. Great. And you're that open in front of the goal. It's easy to choke. No. Cold as ice. And Gotham retook the lead just before halftime with a goal from Esther. Both of Gotham's goals were assisted by Midge Purse. I don't know if it's Purse, Purse, Purse. Well, I don't know either. I don't remember. I'm sorry. I apologize. But she did get the MVP. Um, but at the end of this game, oh Gotham's goalkeeper, Mandy Hunt, got a red card for handling the ball outside of the box. So the tension was crazy. Midfielder Neely Martin had to step in as the goalkeeper. And it was shades of uh, Milan with Drew in the goal. Just that kind of excitement. But they held on. They won. Yeah. And they are champions. That was a nervy, a nervy-making free kick at the end. Oh, my gosh. Oh, that was... If, and if they had had to play another 30 minutes with the midfielder in goal, <sighs> that would have been something. But it, in and of itself, there was enough tension there. But like the great, possibilities were crazy. Great final. Um, great season. A lot of parody. Uh, Gotham were in last place last year. And now they're champions. Gives hope to yeah. the Chicago Red Stars. So congratulations, Gotham FC. And congratulations to your Leeds United because they just keep winning. They winning again this weekend. Winning. Moving up, closing the gap. Now they're only, what, eight points out of the they're top? They're within striking distance, I think. Mm. Like a few more games. And they're in an automatic promotion spot right now in third, right? I, is it the top three? My understanding is that the top two are promoted and the then there's a playoff, the playoff. for right. third. Unless they change something. I don't know. It's got to be exciting. It's very exciting. Um, I'm I'm excited for the possibilities there. Would I mind if they stayed down, just had like one more season of winning? <laughs> it wouldn't be the worst thing. But also sometimes like it feels like some of these teams are too good for the championship and not good enough for the Premier League. And it's so there's like this kind of. Are you suggesting a new league, a new way to make money off of soccer? <laughs> I love it. The Champ Premier. Yes, the Champ Premier. Well, maybe when the, when the Super League starts, then that's that in-between league. Yeah. 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 Speaking of Super League, uh, the Champions League was also... This week, so much football this week, I could not keep up. But I did want to focus on, on one funny event. Uh, so during the Manchester City um, Young Boys game, uh, Erling Holland was uh, approached by uh, a Young Boys player, Kamara, uh, for a jersey swap at halftime. What? 
What? Not even for the game. And a visually kind of perturbed Holland agreed. Um, and all the press was up a roar out of the lack of etiquette. Mm. And the reason I really bring it up, because the person they were asking about was the coach of Young Boys, who is, of course, Raphael Wicke, former Chicago Fire head coach, who could not cut it or actually was not given enough time to cut it in Chicago. Now he finds himself in the Champions League and it just oh. proves. Wah, wah. <laughs> That we cannot have nice things. Oh, look at that. He's so handsome, too. Oh. That jawline. I know. Former player. And it's just the wind is always blowing. That's why his hair is just drop back like that. Also in the Champions League. Did you see the Dortmund game? Um, so Dortmund, Newcastle. Um, and during the game, the game was stopped because after the first goal by Dortmund, I believe, because fans from the Dortmund side began throwing fake bars of gold and euros onto the field uh, in protest of the Champions League restructuring the competition for next year. So next year they're bringing in more teams. They're having a group stage. They're drawing it out, which will be a lot of stress on teams Mm. and players, but just as a way to make more money. So shortly after that, Shortly after that, they unfurled this banner. You don't care about the sport. All you care about <laughs> is money. <laughs> I thought you were talking to me. Oh, no. <laughs> Stop coughing. And then you a portrait <laughs> with portraits of uh, Infantino, uh, PSG president, uh, and also former Juventus chairman Agnelli, um, who are all behind these changes going on with the Champions League. Um, but of course, we know Bruce Dortmund has always been involved in these protests throughout the field, a very active fan base. They also unfurled a banner that, that led to a website called Reclaim the Game, which talks about these issues. Previously, they had protested the World Cup going to Qatar. And I really kind of like these fans. You know, they seem very plugged in. German fans. They yeah. really they really, they really, really like it staying about the sport. Evidenced by it, the same game, Newcastle fans unfurled a banner thanking Dortmund for keeping prices so low. I oh, believe it yeah. was like 19 euros a, a ticket. Sorry, we have, That's, we, I guess we've we been down here for six hours. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh. Speaking of magnificent tournaments, the Noche Dior happened. The Noche Dior, <laughs> MLS's answer to the cash grab, where they built a, a game created specifically for Miami to win and, and Messi to show off his skills after receiving the Ballon d'Or and presenting it to the Inter-Miami crowd. The event happened. Miami played, and they lost 2-1. to one. <laughs> Two teams who didn't make the playoffs. <laughs> Two teams in the midst, just hours before an actual playoff game. I hope this is not a trend, and I hope kind of the embarrassing nature of this nips it in the bud because I have a feeling they're going to try to make as much money off Messi as possible. What do you think about this? What Did, did you watch any of it? I did. I watched a, a little bit. Oh, I, I watched some of the first half. I saw <laughs> New York City's first goal. Uh, me and Jeremy had a big laugh. Yeah. Um, and we didn't come back to it after the half. So um, what do I think about just this? Just have the award. Just have him present the trophy to the fans. Don't make up a game that that's supposed to be about him showing off. Send overpriced tickets. While you're in your playoffs, like, because then the next morning, like, even on Good Morning America, they talked about Messi and this present thing and didn't even talk about the playoffs. Mm. You're undermining your own. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's a narrative. It's, is, here, is, uh, is it because ownership and broadcasting and player, player contracts have become too 
muddled together? Is it? There's I, too I many, don't know. Too my, many... my my one thing that really gets me about it is for years, MLS had to try to get out of the shadow of being this retirement league where mm-hmm. it's just a built about these superstars. They didn't care about the game because of what they did do early on with Beckham and players like that. And finally, it was getting to a point where they're attracting really strong young talent because mm-hmm. we saw it as an appropriate step to Europe. And the quality of the game was going up. <clears throat> now, Messi comes, you're not going to say no. I understand. No. But I feel like they've reverted whole hog back into it. Like, where everything the... he does, even though he doesn't make the playoffs, let's make him his own playoff game. <laughs> you go to the website, it's all Messi. I mean, they didn't make the playoffs. Cut it up. Focus on your own playoffs. Anyway, Noche Dior is now the footy museum term for any cash grab in world soccer. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of the playoffs, they continued. Um, There were several um, third round games. And now all but one of the uh, semifinals, conference semifinals are set. Columbus and Atlanta play tonight. But to follow up on last week's, Playoff news about our favorite player, Matt Miazga. Apparently, after his on-the-field antics that earned him an additional yellow card after taunting the Red Bull fans after the game, he forced his way into the referee's locker room. Oh, my God. And had to be, supposedly, removed by security. Um, and I just think, like, Miazga, cut it out. You may He may be safe, facing huge fines. Potential bands, and also, if I'm Cincinnati, do I want someone like this yeah, on my team? Yeah, it's not good. It's not a good look for somebody who wants a full career. Like, how old is this kid? I don't know. He's going bald, but he's still pretty. <laughs> but also, it's like, and he's arguing. You gave me a yellow. I was just showing my love for the fans. No, you were taunting them. You were. T- it was so obvious. Anyway, Matt, uh, it's not a good look. Um, also, this week, um, USL announced a multi-year deal with CBS. They will be uh, much more visible across all the platforms. And CBS also signing a multi-year deal with NWSL. So maybe MLS is starting to get a little competition. And we have a, a actually a wonderful guest today who could help us talk about that. Someone who has firsthand experience with USL. So why don't we jump into that interview? Whoosh. Maria, are you familiar with Keyworth Stadium? I don't believe I am, no. Um, well, it's, it's really interesting because it is the first WPA project completed in the state of Michigan. Really? And it's just an 8,000-seat stadium in the city of Detroit, but Franklin Roosevelt attended its opening because it's kind of this example of what the WPA can do, like how if you empower a community to build its own infrastructure and take care of itself, what can be accomplished. And I bring that up... Because that's an appropriate home to uh, the Detroit City FC. Do you know this team? Um, I, I believe I made a reference to them a couple weeks ago without actually really knowing that much about them. <laughs> so DCFC is um, currently in the USL, um, and they have developed one of the most distinct supporter cultures in the country. Um, they are known for uh, smoke, among other things, but also uh, great TIFOs, banners, and a lot of 
uh, just ardent support, and they've really distinguished themselves on the American landscape. And we are so lucky because today we get to speak to someone who's really instrumental in that supporter culture. We'll be speaking to Joe Novak, who is part of the Northern Guard Supporters Group, um, and he's going to tell us all about the amazing things that they have going on there. So I'm just going to go ahead and bring in our guest today, Joe Novak. Joe, welcome to the Footy Museum. Hey, hey happy to be here. It's, Hi, Joe. It's so Hi. great to have you. First of all, I congratulate all supporters who support teams that are in the playoffs in any manner. <laughs> and I want to congratulate your team on a great run, even though the season ended um, a little earlier than you'd like. But uh, congratulations on another great season. Thanks. Um, thanks. It ended It ended earlier than we'd like, but later than we thought it would. So, you know, you can't be great. too mad about that's that. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. As a fire fan, the, the seasons always end earlier than you like, but exactly where you expect them. <laughs> Although Maria's also a Leeds fan, and she's kind of experiencing a renaissance. Oh sorts. yeah, it turns Donovan out if they chip. go a league a tier down, then they're great. They're great, <laughs> they're winning. They're too good. <laughs> so, uh, Joe, uh, you may or may not know this, but Maria and I are actually both from Michigan. Uh, we oh. grew up in different generations, but both grew up in um, in Grand Rapids, Michigan, mm. and. I grew up kind of knowing Detroit as the place we would go to Tiger Stadium. I knew the suburbs through like the uh, Henry Ford Museum. But also I think I knew it like a lot of people around the country where there was a negative kind of story that's been built up around the city, right? Um, And I think that you saw that a lot and there was a sense that you stayed away from Detroit, even in the state. Well, since that time, Detroit has really shown through a lot of levels, like through music, through art, through what you guys are doing with the team, um, how kind of the pride and resilience of the city planted in such kind of a fertile creative ground has has grown so many amazing, unique, and idiosyncratic cultures. Um, and with that understanding of Detroit, I'm curious how you think that Detroit um, really shapes Detroit City FC um, and to everyone else in the country who's maybe not familiar, how would you describe what this club is? Um, well, I think, you know, Detroit has, like you, like you said, it has a very distinct culture, but there's a lot of layers to it, you know? Um, and, and one of the things that I think unique makes Detroit city FC uniquely Detroit is that when they started, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like USL granting a franchise or MLS or, or whomever, whatever league, just coming in and saying, hey, we've got a millionaire who wants to start a soccer team and, you know, here you go. And then they start the focus groups and, the, you know, all that stuff. Um, this was a club that was created by five guys who just kind of pooled a couple thousand bucks out of their savings and started an amateur side. Um, they had run, uh, you know, they had, they had met through um, the – DCFL, which is the Detroit City Football League, which is like a, uh, you know, just a rec league, um, which is something a couple of the the now owners um, had, you know, had started as a community organizing thing. And and that was, again, it's not, it wasn't just a, hey, sports is fun, let's do this. They they kept running into each other. I mean, when it is, right? But um, these are guys who all lived in Detroit and, 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 you know, were in the community and um, had met through, you know, they would go around and clean up neighborhoods and they would do all these community events, you know, like kind of to work in the community. But then they, they thought, 
wouldn't it be fun to have something that, um, you know, isn't just like work all the time. Right. Um, so they created this Detroit city football league, which, you know, had games and organized teams and they were, um, you know, your neighborhood had a team. Um, but there was also a community, uh, you know, organizing or community involvement, uh, part to that where your team actually got extra points in the table based on, uh, doing, uh, community activism, going out and helping oh, in the soup kitchen, um, things like that. Right. So from the, and, and, and so they had such great, uh, participation in this league that they thought, well, it'd be, you know, there's a lot of people who want to start a soccer or who want to play soccer and who are interested in it. Um, and we don't have a team here. What, what can we do, um, as you know, folks who are just in the community to start something. And so they joined the NPSL, which is just an amateur level kind of, um, you know, a tier below like USL league mm-hmm. two ish or whatever. Um, and it costs like 10 grand to start a team. <laughs> and so these guys all like pulled a couple thousand bucks out of their savings and, and they started this team and, you know, they were mowing the lawn at the f- local high school field. They were there before games, like their parents were selling tickets. Like it was a very like community um, involved like thing. And, and, and so that, in, you know, that part of it makes it, like I said, uniquely Detroit. And so the Northern Guard supporters, and there was other supporters too, who, um, you know, we all saw this and, and thought like, well, this is real, right? This mm-hmm. isn't just some like astroturfed like thing that's coming in. Um, and so it was very easy at that point to get on the, get on the bandwagon and help where we could, because, um, it's not just for us. This is a model that's come all the way through these the, the de- last decade or more. But it's not just about the soccer. You know, um, we were there in the stands to like pop our smoke bombs and cheer and wave our flags and do all that fun stuff that we're going to talk about. But we're also there to like help create this club to help it survive and help it grow. Um, and so there's a ton that goes beyond that. Um, that you know, we felt even before the ownership stake and all this stuff that we were able to buy into years later felt a sense of ownership of this club. And that's very important to folks from Detroit where, you know, we have a little bit of a chip on our shoulder because yeah. like, like you said, people, a lot of people have written us off, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, it, we feel kind of all on our own. And so it's like, well, it's not going to get done unless we do it. Um, and so that's kind of what we're all about from the club perspective, from the supporters perspective, you know, and then just from a community perspective as well. That's amazing. So you've been supporting the club since it started in 2012 mm-hmm. um, and have played a big role in contributing to the distinctive supporter culture of the club. I was going to ask what initially attracted <laughs> you to the team, but I feel like you answered that question. So yeah. I'm I'm more curious about like, um, like was the start of the supporters group simultaneously mm-hmm. simultaneous with the growth of the team or like with the start of the team or how did that kind of take shape in the beginning? Yeah. So we, so we had, um, we had founders there, uh, Ken and Gene butcher who are like our, you know, they're, they're the guys who started these, these brothers who had started the, the supporter group back in the way back in the day. And they grew up playing soccer. They grew up here in, in, in the, in the city. And, um, and they had read in the paper, you know, one, you know, one day that, hey, this team is coming, you know, and they, they thought, hey, we should, you know, this is cool. Like, let's, let's get in on this, you know. Um, and so they showed up to, uh, you know, I think like the very first like scrimmage at, you know, like a park in Detroit. Um, and they screen printed all these flags 
and they were just handing them out and they were like, we want to get on this and like make it, you know, as authentic as we can just from the jump. Um, I believe one or more or both of them at one time lived in Portland and had, oh. you know, been involved in the, in the Timbers army. Um, and so they had like a background and they knew kind of what, um, you know, a really exciting, uh, atmosphere was like. And mm-hmm. so they were really determined to, um, to help bring that to our, you know, to our hometown. Um, and so, you know, so these guys, and then, the, you know, they, from the start, they, you know, they met folks that there and then the, you know, they started organizing online before. And then by the first game, you know, there was a, a, a good crowd of folks. I jumped right in and, you know, I've been hooked ever since. So. Oh, right from the get-go. That yeah. must be crazy for a player to just be like, yeah, we're going to play a scrimmage. <laughs> right. And then there's a whole, like, pre-set like set supporters group already in the wings just waiting. We're going to look at some of, that, some of the things that, that create the atmosphere in a minute. But what I found fascinating in, in preparing to talk with you today is a lot of info you shared with us, but also that we found that talks about the history of the game in the city. So even though... It's only been 11 years since Detroit uh, City FC formed. There is kind of a unique history of soccer in the city. And it's the kind of, they're the kind of stories that uh, you really associate with football clubs around the world, like mm-hmm. unexpected connections, um, uh, crossovers, weird, weird uh, business choices being made. You know, I, I think a few things that stand out, like obviously you mentioned in Keyword Stadium, the history of that space, which is amazing. Um, but also like the first uh, black player to play for Celtic is mm-hmm. from Detroit. And I believe yep. that your MVP award is named after him. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Gil Heron, who's, um, you know, if you, the revolution will not be televised guy from the seventies, his son, I think it was his son, um, so they're from his, he's a poet, but, but so Gil Heron was, yeah, he was a, a soccer player here and played on teams in, you know, I, is it the thirties or forties or what have you like way, way back. And, and then, yeah, he was the um, first black player to play for, for Celtic. And then, yeah, so our, uh, his nickname was the black arrow. So that's, that's our amazing. MVP award, um, is named after him. Yep. And then of course you as a club, uh, DCFC has a very interesting uh, relationship with a Belfast club. Uh, and, and is this, if I pronounce this wrong, I apologize, but uh, Glentorin FC, how, how would you say that properly? Nailed it. You nailed it. That's Glentorin perfect. FC. Yeah. Do you want to explain that connection? Because I found that not only how that came about fascinating, but the ongoing mm-hmm. relationship really wonderful. Yeah. So in the sixties, they were starting, uh, the original like NASL. Um, and at the time I think there was a competing soccer league starting and I can't recall what the acronym for that one was, but these were, these two leagues were basically racing to get started. Right. And like who can get in first and get the audience. And so the other league, um, they were building, they were doing it the regular way. They're they're finding players, they're building teams, they're doing whatever. And the NASL decided like to get to get started and like let's just go because I think they were actually decided to move it up a year or something like that. They just went over to Europe and and all over and just went okay, we're just going to write your team a check and in the summer you all just come over here and play and we're going to call you this other thing right. 
And so there were teams from England and France and Italy and Spain and whatever, and like, but all over the country, New York and California. And I think there was one in Chicago as well, um, who are basically, you know, like renamed versions of, you know, Leeds or whatever. I don't, I don't know that Leeds was one, but, but, you know, um, but Glen Torin, who is in Belfast at the time, you know, they're historically one of the best teams in the Northern Irish League. And at the time they were playing like European football, they were, they were very good. Um, and so they came to Detroit and it's only, I think this, this thing only lasted like one season. Um, but so anyway, so for this one crazy year, um, the, the Belfast, you know, or I'm sorry, uh, Glen Torren was the Detroit Cougars. Um, but so it was the 50 year anniversary a couple years ago of, um, of this, this thing happening and Detroit, uh, you know, they, we haven't since the pandemic, but we, we would try at least every year to have one, if not more international friendlies and bring over a team. Um, and so the first year was FC United of Manchester, which is like Manchester United, disaffected Manchester United fans who started their own after the Glazers bought them, bought their own, started their own. So we did that. And then, so it's like some like-minded, we brought over Glenn Torin, like said for, uh, this, um, you know, this anniversary and there was like celebrations all weekend and we had the match and, and, you know, all kinds of other fun stuff. Um, and we did the same for St. Pauli and we've done Liga MX, you know, teams and things like that too. But I just um, like the idea because I really love the idea of Leeds coming over to be the Chicago fire next year. I think <laughs> they do have a player named Kamara. I think that's a great, <laughs> they'll still screw it up. Um, but let's talk about a lot of what you do because you are, you are very instrumental in the Northern Guard with uh, TIFO coordination with a lot of, of supporter activities. Um, and I'm amazed by when I, when I watch games or see footage or pictures from what you guys do in that stadium, it, it's really one of the top TIFO banner uh, environment, like supporter environments in the country. It's I so mean, energized. it's so energized, but also the, the design and scope and variety of the uh, TIFO and banners that you're creating, I think really stand out and are very impressive. Uh, so here's you, if, in case you're curious, wearing the incorrect Michigan sweatshirt. I, I, no, I should point out, I am not a, I'm not, I'm not a state grad. Um, I happen to be on the road for work and I didn't have, it got cold. And I went to Meyer, and that was the cheapest hoodie they had. And so now it is my paint hoodie because I do not care. I could not care less about Michigan State. We don't so, really anyway. follow college sports either. I just, <laughs> um, but we thought maybe we would look at some of, of the work that's done, and you could just walk us through and maybe explain sure. a little bit. So the first thing that stood out to me before we get to some of the larger TIFO um, is just the variety and range of banners that you create and are visible at each game. So I'm wondering if we're looking at this picture, if you want to kind of describe where this is on the field mm -hmm. um, and what exactly is we're looking at in terms of how are these images created yeah. or, or, or chosen? This is a very historic um, wall that has the name of the, the, uh, the stadium on it. And it's this, you know, 20 foot brick wall. Um, and so normally we don't, you know, that we've, we've hung stuff here in the past, but, um, you know, what, what this is, is this was during the pandemic, um, when we did this one 
And um, so I'm actually glad we started with this one because this is, like I said, this is the in, like perfect embodiment of what we as a, a supporter group and as a TIFO team and, and whatever um, are all about where um, everybody, you know, I, I, I help coordinate a lot of it, but like this is the work of, you know, hundreds of people every time we, we do something. Um, and so what we, during the pandemic, we, they had a, like a bubble tournament at Keyworth stadium. Um, and so we couldn't come in and do, you know, we couldn't come in and support in the way we wanted to, or the way that we normally did, obviously. Um, but we wanted to still show our teams, um, the men and the women, cause it was the first year of the, of the women's team too. Um, we wanted to show them that we support them. In, in, in any way we could. So in addition to this, this thing, which I'll describe is one of the other, a couple of the other supporters built a robot that actually set smoke bombs off and they would put it in the stadium before everybody got there. And then they could remotely detonate smoke bombs from their house. Um, and so we tried to be as creative as we could. And so in, in, in addition, we did what we called quarantifo because we were all quarantining. Um, and so we had, we put the call out to all the to supporters to say, um, everybody's going to create something or have the opportunity to create something in your own home, um, you know, instead of everybody getting together like we normally do. And then what we did is I drove around and gathered them all and we sewed them together. And then we kind of set a ladder up on the other side of that wall, which is just like a public park. And we kind of like dropped it over. Uh, some of these are, you know, these are messages. Some of them are uh, cartoon versions of of people. Like you can see kind of in the, the lower right corner, there's actually my parents. They, they, you know, I drew like a cartoon version and they painted it at their house of like a picture of them from the stadium in the, in the before times, right. That, that whenever my parents go, they like, will take a selfie, you know? So that's then. And then there's a, uh, you know, other stuff that's, um, you know, just inspirational messages. There's, you know, one that's the 2020 and it's a middle finger, you know, <laughs> it's like a mixed bag of, of, of what people wanted to do, but we wanted people to allow, uh, to, express themselves in any way to support the club. But you don't stick to the small scale. You do mm -hmm. several large scale activations and, and yeah. TIFO. Um, and you sent us a number of them, but I'm interested, the takeover of the galaxy, is that what this says, right? This, yes, that's correct. Yep. What, yeah. what, what is this one about? That was our first year when we were moving out of the NPSL into what became NISA. Okay. Um, and, and so we were going to become a professional league. So we were, although we had been growing in numbers for many, for a number of years, um, we were finally, the club was growing and fulfilling some professional ambitions. And we, we all, we have this running joke, uh, that we are, we're the galactic champions, you know, we're just the best team in the, in the galaxy and nobody can compete with us. So, so this kind of, you know, um, this kind of translated that. And then, you know, it was, there's, there's various trophies on each panel of, uh, the first panel is um, the imagery is the DCFL, which I talked about a little bit ago, where the park where they play and the, and the, and what was essential to the club's founding, and that's the DCFL uh, trophy on that. Um, the second panel is the uh, Rust Belt trophy, which was a derby trophy that we had with Cleveland and Buffalo when we were in the NPSL, um, and that was like a supporter created derby. Um, and then the third panel is when we moved to Keyworth and we won the NPSL uh, region and made it to the uh, NPSL. We made it to the NPSL semifinals at that point. Um, and so that's that trophy. And then the third one is just a championship belt for, you know, taking for being gal galactic champs. 
Yeah, and we so I, I get I get envious when I see um, MLS supporters or uh, you know European supporters or whomever else in these giant stadiums with these double decker things, and they can it it I know it's not easy, but it seems so much easier to just put some rigging up and drop it from the second deck, and like you're not worried as much about like the the elements and and whatnot. We don't have we have to get really creative with how we deploy things. We only did this this thing between the light towers. Those are a hundred feet across, um, and so that we have one of the um, one of the members of our group is a, she's a structural engineer and she's amazingly brilliant. Because we don't have that infrastructure, um, we have to try to figure out like some creative ways to 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 display these in a, in a way that looks cool and that people can see them um, without like you know tearing down the light towers or something with because it got too windy you know and then you also sent this um this this piece this Mm -hmm. i would say tivo but it's a a lot of individual um players and you want to explain who it is we're looking at and um yeah so this is just another example of us trying to get creative with the space mm -hmm. we have right um and so what we wanted to do and i uh, wish i could recall i think this is maybe 2017 or 18 um but we had wanted to honor um, just the the folks, and this is players, this is coaches, this is you know front office staff, folks who were um, essential to the club's success at that point. Um, okay. And so the big ones are guys who were the Black Arrow winners um, up to that point, and then the other guys are you know like I said, coaches, front office players, and so on and so forth. Um, and it says the the words are Rouge et or forevermore, so Rouge and Gold forevermore. Um, and then, uh, and then, so what we did is we painted these, um, if I had to do it again, I would paint black paint on white fabric instead of the other way around, oh, because it was oh, like how many layers did you have to do? three coats on every single one. <laughs> and we were working out of a workshop in Hamtramck that was maybe, I don't know, a couple hundred square feet. And so people oh were just gosh. like piled onto each other and then we would hang them up around the walls to dry. And it was a huge pain in the butt. But it was really rewarding because at the end of this, we gave every single one of these guys got um, their portrait, right? We just wow. they were a gift from the supporters to so the, it's these to these the great, game. like it was mentioned, white and black uh, portraits yeah. of all the players white, lining yeah, the field. Gray, yeah. How did you how did you choose the larger ones? So it's kind of staggered. So on the field side, hmm. just past kind of the barrier, there's some larger ones. So I'm looking at one of Zach Myers. Yeah. So those were the guys who won uh, the, those are the Black, Black Arrow, the Black Arrow Award, okay. Award winners. Yeah, those are the MVPs. Yeah, yeah. I love the layering that that gives. It's really mm-hmm. great. Yeah, yeah. It breaks it up. Yeah. And this is also just a fantastic – so right now we're looking at a picture of the, the cement stands in Keyworth. Mm-hmm. And it one, I love how – worn and kind of uh the age of that space you see in those yeah. stands that looks like a proper football stand <laughs> yeah. but in the back is like a stained glass kind of image it says the faithful of detroit city uh, with a florida lee in the middle stained glass and then uh two skeletons one on each side one with i think drumsticks the other with a smoke yep. bomb is that correct that's correct yeah so okay. so this is another kind of trick we've done to work with the space as we set up this big frame so the wall behind the supporter stand is uh, 10 feet tall, I think. And then we extended it with this PVC frame so that it's, uh, you know, about 15 feet tall. And so we could put this on the back there. And we've done this several times. Uh, in this, in the case of this one, um, 
we had, I guess it was last year, uh, our first ESPN game. So we usually do, we'll do a TIFO for the, the men's opener and the women's opener. Mm-hmm. And then if there are special kind of things, um, we'll do stuff. And in this case, it was our first nationally televised game, like on, not just on ESPN plus, but like on ESPN, right. Um, or I think it was on ESPN two, but, um, it was supposed to be good Friday. Um, and so hence the stained glass what ended up happening was the weather was really terrible and it was going to blow this thing down and so we ended up we ended up saving it till another espn game like in (laughs) uh, like july or something like that um but that was the intention but yeah it was really cool this came from um one of the other supporters uh she plays snare drum and her um she's a teenager and her mom had asked me to design a drum head for her as a christmas present and so that's why the one skeleton is like holding the drumsticks. Cause that's actually part of one of the like designs that I was kind of like tinkering around with for, for mm. the drum head. So, um, so anyway, and so that's where it came from. So I, and I thought the stained glass look was, was cool, you know, the stained glass, the cool. vivid colors yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. Look, yeah. look fantastic. It's really effective for a TIFO too. Cause of the scale. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And now we're looking at one that the full stand. So we have mm-hmm. and the center is a large square piece with two figures that um, appear to be women of color, and they are positioned in a similar stance as the uh, statue that's kind of in your crest, that Mm -hmm. um, Chicago, or uh, that Detroit statue, excuse me, Detroit statue. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So what what is this, what was this piece for? So this was because you can tell the, um, the stands are empty. Uh, Mm -hmm. this was again during, uh, COVID. Um, so we had painted this one during, uh, in our front yard actually. Um, and, and so what those, what those women are is the, um, there are two women on the city of Detroit, city of Detroit crest. Um, so the, the, the statue that's on our club crest is actually the spirit of Detroit. And there's a big statue in front of city hall. Mm -hmm. Um, but the old flag that predates that has these two women, not those two specific women, because um, the the women on the flag are very um, like eh, they're wearing togas and whatever like these women are. We we kind of like NGS it a little bit. So they're wearing gas masks and they're holding flares. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we thought that was kind of a cool you know representation of Detroit. But the words on that were important at the time because. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just had to Google it just to make sure I, I, um, I say it correctly, but the, the motto of the city of Detroit and it's on the flag in Latin, it says, we hope for better things. It shall arise from the ashes. Um, and so that's what does those words on that say. And then, you know, during COVID we thought like, well, that's, you know, that's a, um, a good, you know, message to all remember as, as this crazy stuff is going on. So. Um, this is that was one of those ones. Yeah, there's the yeah, yeah that got so to work. Had, now. Yeah, Here's you see my you wife and I it. and my daughter and my dog, and then we have a few friends who would come <laughs> over and, and sit six feet apart from us, you know, and help uh, paint this in our front yard, you know. Um, and so, yeah, and if anyone's yeah. just listening, we're we're looking at a video of it laid out in the full yard. So anyone who lives in a in Detroit or Chicago or any city knows like the postage stamp side of a front yard mm-hmm. kind of between the two driveways and the sidewalk. And it's all this TIFO and you see different people coming in at different times, filling it in. 
And then yeah, once my, it's done in your yard, where does it go? What? Does it, how does it get to the stadium? And how does well, it? Well, yeah. So we, um, the club was nice enough to um, allow us to sneak in before anybody else got there, like um, mm-hmm. on those days. And and you, you know, you could see in that picture that there were banners hung on the fence line, and mm-hmm. the um, the Smokey Smokey the robot, you know, we talked about before, is actually uh, in that picture right in front of the TIFO. You can see like a little Terminator head. Okay. Um, yeah. And so they would allow us to come in and set the banners up and then we would all go home <laughs> and we would watch the game. Um, and then we would come back and, and take it all down. What do your neighbors think when you've got all that laid out in your yard? So, like, are they curious? The fir- like peering the, through the shades? Like the first time we did it, my neighbors absolutely thought we were lunatics. They, yeah, they absolutely <laughs> thought we were crazy. Um, but, you know, since we've, you know, talked it up and talked it up, we've got some neighbors who now come to games and things like that. Oh, you nice. Know. Yeah. So just one more question as we wrap up. Um, USL has been mm-hmm. making some moves lately, some changes mm-hmm. and talking about a possible pro rel and just signing a multi-year broadcast agreement. What do you see happening to the league and why should people be watching? Um, I mean, I would be shocked. I'd be shocked if they ever did pro rel, but that's, I'm a, <laughs> I'm a cynic. I would love it. I absolutely would love that you can move up on merit and not just, yeah. uh-huh. um, not just because you have some rich folks. Cause like I said earlier, the club was founded by normal dudes, but every time we move up, we have to take on an ownership stake from some rich person, right? Just to yeah. qualify. And I think that that's like kind of perfectly American, but also anti-american like yeah. you know there's um nobody tells a guy it's, it's who perfectly a, capitalist yeah right well, that's, yeah it's yeah. And nobody nobody tells the guy who runs the coffee shop on the corner down here that he can't open a second location or or expand his business just because he doesn't have a benefactor to to do it mm-hmm. um and so i hate i hate that that's but i would love it like if if usl could do some of the things that i've heard where they could at least do promotion relegation within their ecosystem. Yeah. I wouldn't mind a road trip to Madison, you know, yeah. or, or whatever. Um, and I think that it would, it would prove out that the concept could work. Six, mm-hmm. uh, assuming they could make it successful. I, you know, I, I no offense to an MLS fan, but I don't foresee, you know, um, I don't see the owners of MLS franchises who've paid hundreds of millions of dollars in an expansion fee to ever, jeopardize their investment so to speak by yeah. unless know, they start allowing... losing losing the market well and that's it right is like yeah. it's funny like i would have never thought that san diego albion in uh in nisa would outlast san diego loyal but here we are um but i also don't think the new san diego team um as amazing as that crest is um is going to uh <laughs> um is going to lose market share to to a, an underfunded uh you know glorified top tier of a youth youth program right so yeah. um if denisa could prove it out and they could you know compete somehow in those markets then yeah absolutely you might be able to do it um well but the, the, the flip side is that yeah. tv deal though because mm-hmm. now with MLS only on Apple TV, mm. you can't kind of just find the sport or easily easily come mm. across yeah. it or look at it or or just you can dip in without having to invest or or yeah. or take that step. So I think there is room there, and I think mm. we all hold out hope for kind of a true pyramid. Yeah. Um, well. Yeah. Only not only for the quality of play, but I think the interaction between communities. 
that you get because ultimately it's really so much i think so many american people have come to this sport love how distinct it is from mm -hmm. american sports and how there globally is this room for supporter owned teams yeah. and bizarre histories that are separate from these mm -hmm. gigantic corporations yeah. so as epl is becoming more americanized all these other americanized it's like where does that kind right. of reality that we actually fell in love with live and i think there's a possibility for it and i think it's alive and well in the usl it's just not many people right. know about it so yeah and, and i think that there needs to be there's got to be several more years of usl success and growth before but i would love it i mean my wife and i we drove to louisville to watch the lose in the playoffs we went to pittsburgh <laughs> a couple times this year we we took the bus to indy and we were like, gosh, it would be so much fun. We were, I, we, maybe we were watching Welcome to Wrexham or something. But <laughs> we were like, wouldn't it be great? Look at these guys get to take the train to the game. We were like, God, yeah. if there was a team in Chicago that we could take the train to, we missed out on the house, the one year of the house. Yeah. Um, and not that you could take a train to Bridgeview anyway, but... Um, but you could take a train and then you could take a bus, <laughs> and then right, you have right. to crawl through a tunnel and yeah. <laughs> come was, out of a if, manhole. <laughs> yeah, if there was, if there was the, um, if if there was the ability for teams to move and for this to be like a united ecosystem, rather than us just hoping that some insane rich person decides to compete with the Chicago Fire, um, and so that we can take a train to, to Chicago, you know, it'd be it'd be great. Like if well, we could, maybe it's that, also not. Also, an argument for more investment in the Open Cup because it would be oh, great man. to see you guys come and embarrass us at Soldier Field. Yeah. Some, oh some man. Yeah. Well, maybe this year. <laughs> you in Omaha, think, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh man. Well, maybe. You know, that, that's I hadn't thought of that, but that'd be that'd be great. That'd be amazing. Or you know, you guys could have an excuse to come to Keyworth. You know. Absolutely. Yeah. I yeah. think I'm gonna come anyway. Yeah. Well, uh, Joe, this has been uh, fantastic. Uh, we're so impressed by what you do and um, we are generally excited to come visit Keyworth and experience it firsthand. Um, and thank you for putting up with our little technical glitches, <laughs> but you know no what? Problem. We're all, we're, we're also, we're also a, a supporter run operation. <laughs> I get it. Believe me, I get it. <laughs> so we yeah. look forward to talking to you soon. Uh, and again, uh, thanks so much for coming on the footy museum. No problem. Happy to do it. What a great interview. <laughs> oh, my, Maria, our tech, our, our recording equipment, this is the last our week lighting, with this, tech. this is all, this is last all week with this bad. Tech. Well, but it was still great to talk to Joe. Um, uh, Detroit City, what a great club. I love the, yeah. the history uh, of it, it, the stadium. The, it has a real authentic feel to it. Um, like, it's not manufactured out of nothing. Yeah. Like it, like this, the stadium has history. The club has a foot and history in the community, um, even through iter different iterations. Absolutely. Yeah. So it has like that kind of old world feel to it, even though it's an American team. I think we should look into that year that a bunch of European teams <laughs> took over City. <laughs> See team. what kind of places they went to. But but also like. It's also interesting because that's probably maybe the only time some of those teams ever played each other because you had teams from all over the world all of a sudden being <laughs> American teams. I would love that'd um, be a great summer gig. Like, hey, you want to go do your job, but like at a chill. Yeah, like you want to be a Detroit Cougar? <laughs> <laughs> Someday. <laughs> On 
on that. <laughs> Thank you for listening and watching to another technically flawless episode of the Footy Museum. Thank you so much to Joe Novak and the Northern Guard for taking part. Please check us out on our social, the Footy Museum. We're trying to build an audience on threads because we don't believe in X. So if, if you find us there, please follow us and on Instagram and Facebook as well. Anything else, Maria? Like and subscribe. Like and subscribe. Oh, that's such a great kit. Okay. Peacock. <laughs>